you go with me to Proverbs, the 30th chapter, and the 18th verse. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I, I enjoy lists. I, ten top lists, ten this, ten that. And uh, I like that. That's just something I like to do on Facebook and in life. I just like to see what, Jennifer, what a joy to have you and the boys this morning. Always a joy to have you with us. Uh, and in Proverbs, which was written by, supposedly, I'll put that word in there, the wealthiest and the smartest man that ever lived, any man that could negotiate 300 wives and 700 girlfriends, I don't know how smart he is. Now, they call him that there was none like Solomon, his wealth, and from the uh, from that from that regime, the Masons were birthed. The Masons are a group of men. I guess women can join, and uh, all just men, men only. And they go about helping people. And we see from Solomon's temple, Solomon's the the, the temple that he built to God. He was quite a man. He was quite a man. And uh, when God asked him, "What can I do for you?" Uh, he didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for riches. He asked for wisdom, and uh, God, through, through his years and through his time of reigning, uh, God gave him wisdom. He actually conquered the world. Uh, Israel at that time had conquered the world, and he was quite a man. But there's a list here in Proverbs 30 and verse 18 where the writer says, there are three things that are too wonderful for me, four that I cannot grasp. And when a man of God, who's supposed to be the wisest and the wealthiest man that ever lives, makes a statement that there's something too wonderful for him to grasp, that's something that you want to underline. That's something you want to focus on. That's something you want to bring attention to. For the wisest man in the world to tell you that there are things that he cannot grasp and he cannot, he cannot get a hold of because it's so phenomenal and it's so sensational, and that first thing that he says is the way of an eagle in the air. The way of an eagle in the air. The number one thing that he thought was so phenomenal, so incredible, that he could, he could not quite grasp was the way that an eagle maneuvered and manipulated the heavenlies. We know that Israel has the greatest fighter pilots in the world, literally, in the Six-Day War, they proved their superb ability and talent. But we're told, as you research the Israeli pilots, we're told that they study the eagle for hours. They study, they film, and they tape, and they study the maneuvers and the ability to fall out of the sky and land on a dime, the ability to take off without a runway or land just to, just to mount up, the ability to go into the heavenlies. As many of you know, Mount, Mount Everest has always been uh, a phenomenon to me. And in my several years of ministry, several years ago, I, I wrote a book, I preached a sermon on uh, Mount Everest and that things do not survive, things do not live. Uh, the weather is 30 below, the air is too thin to breathe. But one thing that you will find flying over Mount Everest is the golden eagle, a creature unlike any other. The ability with the third eyelid to look directly towards the sun. The eagle, the Indian says, doesn't look at you. It looks through you. 
And if you ever, if, if you look at the pictures of eagles, you'll find that someone captures that it's almost a glare. Uh, I've seen some like weak-eyed eagles that immediately you could say, well, that's, that's not really what an eagle looks like because that, that, that look that he has is if to say, I don't belong here. This is not my home. But there's a better place. There's another place. And he always has his eyes focused on the sun. And when the storm rolls in, I remember uh, when I graduated from high school, I went to work for a uh, mag shop. And uh, we put Krager mags and tires, and that's all I did the whole summer long and saved my money and, and bought a 58 Chevy and put rims on it and made it nice and made it fancy. It got stolen the second day of college, and uh, my beautiful car got stolen. I took all my wills, and so I shifted, went to a Cadillac. What, what can I say? But when I worked for this mag shop, they had a, they had a yard with hundreds, maybe thousands of rims and had a fence around that yard, and they had a dog named Big Boy. And he was a Doberman, and he was crazy, and he would bite you, he would hurt you. The owner himself was afraid of his own dog. But nobody ever robbed him because if anybody got in there, this dog would eat you without warning. He didn't bark, he just run up and eat you. Well, somehow I managed to win the favor of Big Boy. I'm not sure how. Maybe the, uh, the uh, Big Mac uh, patty probably helped me a little bit and maybe a little snack from Taco Bell. But anyway, Big Boy got married and had pups. And they had, they had eight pups. And when the pups were born underneath, the, underneath the, the shed there where the wheels were stored, I had to crawl underneath there and get all those eight puppies out. And as I remember that story, I was told if I would cut the tails off the puppies, I could have the pick of the litter. So I took my pocket knife, and their eyes were all closed. They were just peaceful, sleeping, minding their own business. But I promise you, if you ever get your tail cut off, it's an eye-opening experience. Every one of those puppies opened their eyes, and I selected, I actually selected the runt of the litter because I thought that would be a, a good dog, and I gave that dog to my grandparents, and we, we named that dog Shannon. And uh, Shannon, uh, if you didn't know Shannon, Shannon would hurt you. Uh, one afternoon, my aunt went to my grandparents' house, went in, and when she came out, she couldn't leave the front porch because Shannon had her pinned down, and she waited three hours. They didn't have cell phones in those days. She waited three hours for someone to come home so that they could free her or set her free from Shannon's glare. I remember one, one year I was on the front porch drinking a cup of coffee, and the postman came and said, hey, I got some mail for, mail for you. I said, just leave it out there. I said, he said, no, I'll bring it to you. I said, no. I said, I said, we got, we got a dog he bites. He goes, oh, man, I've been trained with dogs. I'm, I'm fine with that. And he gets about 18 feet in the yard, and Shannon sees him, and she takes off, and he did a Flosbury flop over that, that, that foot, about a four-foot chain link, and he got his shirt caught in the chain link, and he ripped his shirt, and he said, man, you're right. That dog really will bite us. I tried to tell you what part of the dog will bite you do you not grasp or comprehend. And so, so Shannon was a... She was a bad-to-the-bone dog. She really she lived a long time, and we enjoyed her, and the grandkids all enjoyed her. But there was something about a storm. When a storm would blow in, and the lightning would flash, and thunder would roar, Shannon would cower, and she would hide, and she would get underneath something. And I think about that, a ferocious animal like a Doberman pincher, afraid of the storm, but not the eagle. The eagle is not intimidated by the clouds intimidated by the thunder, by the lightning, and when those clouds roll in, that eagle just mounts up and flies right through the storm, right through the clouds, and has her eyes where she last saw the sun, 
And sure enough, Linda, when she breaks through that cloud barrier, there's the sun right where she left it. I'm telling you this morning unto you that fear his name and, and, and focus on him, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. He knows all about storms. He knows all about calamities. He knows all about things going wrong. But he's promised to be there, the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And if you'll keep your eyes on the sun, if you'll keep your eyes on your purpose, if you'll keep your eyes on your destiny, clouds will roll in. Let me tell you something. Clouds will come. Clouds will go. Rain will come, rain will go. Thunder will come, thunder will go. But the eyes of the Lord are always on the righteous, and that will never leave us or forsake us, even until the end of the world. Aren't you glad this morning that you have that favor, you have that protection, you have that provision that God has provided for you? When looking at the eagle, I thought just for a few minutes this morning, I would touch base about it. Isn't it cool how my glasses match my jacket? That was a dollar, a dollar investment I made. When you look at the eagle, you have to go to Isaiah 40 and 31, where Isaiah is bragging on God, and he declares, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He give power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and grow weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait, say it with me, upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. Notice what happens when you wait upon the Lord. Your strength is renewed. You shall mount up with wings as eagles. You will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. I know in the church of God, when we sang that song, They That Wait Upon the Lord, we added a little, a little ending on that verse where it says, Teach me, Lord, to wait. Teach me, Lord, to wait. There are three definitions of the word wait. If you were to call me and say, hey, in the morning, I'm going to take you to the best bass fishing hole in Tennessee. We've got to get there early. I'll be there at five. Let me tell you something. I would be up at four. I'd be ready. I'd have my rods. I'd have my reels. I'd have everything. I'd have a thermos of coffee. And I, at five o'clock when they came, they wouldn't be waiting on me because I enjoy fishing and I don't mind getting up early to go fishing. Can anybody relate? But that's not the definition of this word here in the Hebrew. There's another word, wait, and I, I, I think about a waiter or a waitress. I, I think about going into a restaurant and sitting down and someone serving me and bringing me food and bringing me coffee and bringing me all the things that make the meal special, and we call that person a waiter or a waitress. But that is not the definition of this word in this passage. Both those words are great. They that wait, if we were just to say those of us that are waiting upon the Lord, waiting upon a move from God, I know there have been those that have sequestered themselves to a closet. I shared that with you several weeks ago. A.A. Allen got in a closet, told his wife, don't bother me, no interruptions, don't come get me, leave me alone. I'm going to stay here until I hear from God. And he stayed in that closet three days, and God spoke to him and shared with him seven things. And I actually have that book that a lot of ministers would like to have. It's out of print. But he shares those seven things that God showed him, the ability to wait upon the Lord. I remember several years ago, almost probably 36 years ago, I decided that I was going to go to G Creek Campground, and I was going to wait on the Lord. And I took my tent, I took my sleeping bag, and I didn't have bottled water in those days. They didn't have cell phones in those days. I took no food. I took no water. I just went there to wait upon the Lord. After the second day, when the tent leaked and my pillow got wet, after the third day, when a bear came and growled outside my, my tent, 
I decided that my weight was over. I called it short. I began to walk towards Lake Akoi Inn. The state trooper picked me up. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, I was waiting upon the Lord, but I'm headed to get something to eat. I am starved. I got there at the restaurant. I called my friend, Starla Ridge. I said, listen, my 40 days has ended. It's over. God has spoke to me. I'm headed to the restaurant. I need you to do two things. Number one, come and get me. Number two, bring some money because I'm broke. I went to that restaurant. I ordered the biggest steak. I still remember that, the size of that steak, mashed potatoes. I hope I'm not making you hungry. But my weight didn't go 40 days. My weight went about three days. And I know that it's fun sometimes to say, you know what? I'm not leaving here till God speaks to me. I'm not. And there was a, a season in Jacob's life where Jacob got a hold of God. And he said, you know what? I'm not leaving here until you tell me your name. And you got to understand the power was in the name. In the Old Testament, when they were named, they were named for a reason. Their Hebrew roots, the, their Hebrew name meant something. And, of course, we know that Jacob, his name meant deceiver and supplanter and liar and manipulator. But when Jacob got a hold of God, God changes Jacob's name to Israel, which means house of God, place of God, people of God. And Jacob got a hold of the angel and said, I am not letting go. And he held him all night long. He literally wrestled with him all night long. And when the angel of the Lord, which I believe to be the Lord before the incarnate Lord, when the, when the sun began to come up, then the angel of the Lord reached over and just tapped Jacob on the thigh. And the Bible says he limped the rest of his life. Was that a bad thing? No, because everyone that saw him said he has been with God. He saw God and survived. So that's okay. That's a good to wait upon the Lord. And, and Terry, that's a good definition. And then the definition today, while we are here and we're ministering to him, we are, we are clothing him with our words. We're clothing him with our song. We're singing to him and we're fellowship with him and we're ministering to him. Certainly, we're, we're two or three gathered in his name. There he is in the midst of them. So that's a good definition for us to be ministering and serving the Lord. Certainly, God's going to bless and God's going to restore and God's going to finance, but that's not what that word means, Jerry. That word in the Hebrew is kwaval, and from the word kwaval, we get the word braid. And the word braid here simply means three strands woven together so tightly that the three are one. And don't you love what the Bible says about the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? And when you kwaval with the Lord, when you connect with the Lord, when you bind yourself with the Lord, and you attach yourself to the Lord, Great things are going to happen. The first thing that says, they that wait, those that connect with the Lord, they shall renew their strength. We were laughing about the energy of a child, but isn't it exciting and amazing how God gives us strength, God gives us favor, God gives us blessing, do things beyond our comprehension, beyond our ability, because we are bound together with him, because we're two or three are gathered in his name. He's right there in the middle of us. And aren't you glad this morning you've made that commitment, you've made that covenant that where God is, I'm going to be what God wants me to do. I'm going to do love good, hate evil, find out the thoughts of God, the things of God, and do the things of God. There's a power there that's incredible. But not only will you bind together with the Lord, and not only will your strength be renewed, but you shall leave the ground war and get involved in the air war. The, the battle was not won when, when, we, when Kuwait came against Iraq. The battle was not won with troops and tanks and soldiers and guns. The battle was won in the air. Thousands of airstrikes against Iraq that literally, even to this day, they're still crippled. They're still wounded because of the airstrike 
America put on them because they had tanks headed to Kuwait and they're going to try to destroy the nation and take away their freedom and make them a socialistic state. And so that it is so good to know today that God is on your side, that whatever you're going through, not only are you going to mount up with wings as eagles, but you're going to run and not be weary. And I've, I've, it is so amazing to watch Skylar, because when Skylar comes in, in the house, sometimes she'll start at the front door, and she'll run all the way around the living room, all the way in front of the TV, and all the way back to the front door. Then she'll do it again. She'll come all the way. About the third time, I'm tired. About the third time, watching that, just watching that, that energy, that, 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 that ability to enjoy life and to run. And then the Bible says, you shall run and not be weary, and you shall walk and not faint. And I think about that journey that we are on today, the journey that every one of us in this house are on today. When I think about that journey, I think about Psalms 3, where it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or standeth in the way of the sinner, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate both day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the river, and whatsoever he doeth, shall prosper. And here we are promised today if we will find what the Word of God says and do what the Word of God says and dwell on what the Word of God says about us, that we will prosper. Does that excite anybody in the house? I love that passage of Scripture in Psalms 103 where David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, sometimes say good things, so that thy youth is renewed like an eagle. How does that happen? It happens by devouring this word, eating this word, fellowshipping in this word. When Joshua was getting ready to do what no man could do by himself, Moses, the patriarch, had led the people for 40 years. They wandered for 40 years. There was a new generation. There was a young generation, that millennial generation that wanted to go forward. And, and Joshua was contemplating and meditating. And the angel of God appeared to Joshua in Joshua 1 and verse 8. And it says, don't be afraid, do not be concerned. But this book shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate there in day and night that all you do will prosper and you will have good success. And here the word of God says, God wants you successful. He wants you loaning and not borrowing. He wants you the head and not the tail. He wants you to take authority any room you walk in, any position you walk in. He wants you blessed. He wants you healthy. He wants you grown up. He wants you to actually start doing some things the Word of God says that you can do to become what God wants you to become. But there's such a negative force in life. Yesterday, we went to celebrate the uh, wedding of my godson, Caleb Thomas. He was born in this house. Learned how to play the drums in this house. His parents, Scott and Cindy, were on staff for five years here. And uh, they're pastoring an incredible church in Lakeland, Florida, running almost 2,000 in each setting, that three services a day. And uh, they have literally rocked that city and blessed that city, cross-cultural, just a beautiful city. But we were, we, when we were headed back yesterday after the wedding, Pastor Rhonda found some 70s. And so we are coming home. Man, we're, we're rocking out to Donny Osmond. We're rocking out to Michael Jackson. We're one bad apple. Don't spoil the whole bunch. Girl, get your yah-yahs out. I mean, we were flat. We were flat making some memories, and we're flat making some time. And I got to thinking how neat it is in life that you can go on a road trip and feel the presence of God, 
You can do the things of God, enjoy the things of God, come back and know that God's hand is upon you. Well, while God's hand was upon me on Interstate 75 in between Atlanta and Cartersville, I'm doing the, the, the limit, close to the limit. And I'm behind a car that's doing close to the limit. And we're blowing on down the street. And then all of a sudden, somebody in a Ford pickup truck gets behind me and running 78 miles an hour, he got six inches away from my bumper. Well, man, all the goodness of God, all the blessing of God, all the favor of God, all the anointing of God went right out that sunroof. And I mean, I was so, I couldn't go any faster. There's no way to go any faster. He's behind me. And so finally, I pull over. I roll down the window. And Pastor Ron said, stop, stop. What are you doing? What are you doing? He said, he ain't going to hear it. I'm going to hear it. He ain't going to hear it. So it is so easy sometimes to lose your cool. Hello, when you're trying to walk with angels and hear majestic singing and things of that nature, there's still a piece of flesh in every single one of us. And if you think it's gone, then you have some idiot pull out in front of you or some idiot behind you or some idiot turn without their signal. What were they thinking? What in the world? What's this world coming to? So there's that pressure. There's that pressure of not walking where God wants us to walk and doing what God wants us to do and saying what God wants us to say. And as I look at that, as I look at that, that, that area of negativity, I'm told that there are two eagles in the New Testament. One is in Matthew 28 that talks about the carcass of the carcass and the eagles being gathered to the carcass. And then Luke 17 talks about the body and it talks about the eagle being attached to the body. And we look at those two words. We look at carcass and we look at body. The body is alive, vibrant, healthy, doing the things of God. The carcass is something dead, stale. And the, by reference of carcass, you get, this, you get this attitude that it stinks. It's rotten. And so here an eagle has a choice. He chooses to hang around the healthy, godly things that God has put in his life. Or he chooses to hang around dead things where there's stench, there's negativity, there are problems, there are all things going on where God in his word is proclaiming unto us to say the things of God, to speak the things of God, to do the things of God. We've come to a place in our ministry where it is time to grow up. I, I love the sincere milk of the word. The Bible says, thirst after the sincere milk of the word. But then it starts talking about the meat of the word, that God wants you to eat meat. I know when that, when that baby eaglet is born, when you look at the nest, all you see is a big old mouth with a little skin tied to it, and that mouth is open, and eagle talk, the, be, the baby eagle is going, food, food, feed me, feed me. And all the baby eaglet does all day long is eat. But let me tell you what that baby eaglet eats. Before there were Gerbers, and we are all too young to remember that day, but before there was a baby food and a baby formula and all the little baby bottles, the way that mom fed the baby was she took the food that she fed dad, put it in her mouth, chewed it, got it to the right texture, and then put it in the baby's mouth. And the baby ate straight from the mother's mouth. Most young people say, ooh, that's gross. No, that's love. That's the way that a mom feeds her child. That's the way that God feeds us. He gives us meat to eat. And when that baby eaglet eats that meat, it begins to develop, it begins to grow, because the purpose of that eagle is to be the king of the air. The purpose of that eagle is to fly into the heavenlies. The purpose of that eagle is to pursue the sun and the things of God. And God has raised up in every single one of us 
a desire, a taste, something that, that we hunger after the things of God. We thirst after the things of God. We thank God for physical food. We thank God for, for physical water. But there's a season in your life that you can step into that the Word of God becomes so alive and so exciting, you can't put it down. You've got to memorize it. You've got to have it around. And you start doing what it says, and you start doing what it speaks about you. Later in the eagle's life, a full and mature eagle starts having challenges with her beak and with her talons and, and, and gets infected, and she has to go to the rock, and she has to scrape that beak off and scrape those talons off, and then go through a season of waiting and preparation for a new beak to grow back, for new talons to grow back. It's easy sometimes to get to a place in life where our mouth gets out of order, and we forget the things that we learned in kindergarten. I read a book that says everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten. Anybody remember that? But I remember four, five, six years old going to church and going to children's church. And I remember we would sing this song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. You may as well sing because I'm going to go all the way through it. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. And then there's, there's participation. Won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Help me. Won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. And I'll spare you the third verse, but it says all around the world, I'm going to let it shine. Wherever I go, whatever I do, I'm going to let the love and the light of God shine within me because of what his word has to say about me, what his word has to say to me and for me and through me. If you're taking notes, there are simply 10 things that God speaks to us through his word as baby eaglets, as mature eaglets we can relate to, we can absorb. The first thing I want to tell you this morning is God said, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Come to me, all you at labor and heavy burdens, and I will give you, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm meek and I'm lowly at heart. And aren't you glad this morning that there's a place where all can be sheltered safe within the arms of God. And I'm sheltered safe within his arms. Soon rest day will come and I'll see God's own son. But right now, this moment, I am sheltered in that shade. I'm sheltered in that favor. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. That's where I'm at this morning. I'm in that place of rest where sure there's tension. Sure, there's friction. Sure, there's decisions. Sure, there's financial challenges. Sure, there's raising kids, raising, raising a family, securing a job, building a business. Sure, there's stress and sure, there's tension. But when I lay it at the feet of Jesus, he comes and gives me rest. You can't buy that through volume. can't buy that through alcohol. There is no stimulant you can put in your body that's going to match the rest that God gives you. Even the ability to lay down a lion's den, the ability to walk through a fiery furnace, the ability to kill a giant, God gives us all those things because in him we get our rest. Aren't you glad this morning? Then I think about the thing that God wants me to know as a baby eaglet that's growing in, in the kingdom is that the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And the Bible tells us that he gives us joy. He gives us joy unspeakable and full of glory. And when you, when you kind of think about some of the things that you did in your life, the dumb things that you did, and you can look back now and laugh, but at that time it wasn't really a laughing matter. 
But there are seasons in our life when we get discouraged, we get depressed, we get frustrated. Sometimes we just need to get by ourselves when no one's around and simply say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. See, the little simple things is what draws us to God, and God uses things of this world that we laugh at. I was very funny yesterday. I rolled down the window. I mean, I didn't didn't do anything. I've seen anything, but I did roll down the window, and I did shake my fist, and now that I think about it, that was pretty stupid because he couldn't hear what I was saying. He could care less what I was saying. He wasn't going to pay attention to me, and poor Sister Rhonda had to deal with that drama. And she said, you realize he can't hear you. She said, you realize I'm the only one that hears you. I said, yes, but it's the thought that counts. It's the, I, made, I, made the, I made the step. I, I let him know how I felt, and I feel a lot better than that. But if you'll go, go to God over some of these funny things in life, he'll allow you to look back and laugh at your mistakes. Laugh at some of the things you declared. Laugh at some of the things you said. Laugh at some of the, the places you used to stand and realize now it really wasn't that significant. I think when we all get to heaven, I think all of us are going to be amazed as the word of God comes alive and we look at the word and we say, oh, so that's what he meant by that. Oh, so that's what I should have been doing. Aren't you glad that that day is coming and we'll stand, we'll stand before God and hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I'm going to make your ruler over many. We have that promise today, each one of us today. If we choose to grow up, stop being the problem and start being the solution. I've learned in life, and I've spent thousands, I guess, uh, hours in counsel, probably through the, the past 36 years, probably thousands of hours of counsel. And I've learned the more you let people talk, the more they seem to sort out their own decisions. For they, When they begin to speak what they're going through, and they hear themselves saying it, and they start speaking what they need to do, usually they solve their own, their own issues. There's safety in the multitude of counsel. It's important to have someone in your life that you can, that you can look to, that you can, that you can trust. But when everybody is gone and the carpet's been rolled up, there's still a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's there, he's got your back, and he's going to take care of you. The third thing that you need to know what the Word of God says to you about you God says, I will answer you. He's not a God that ignores us. He's not a God that puts us on the back burner, but he's a God that will respond, and we will hear what he has to say. He said, I am, I am the God that answers you. He has answers to your questions. He has, he has, he has solutions for your problems. And, and a couple of days ago, I felt like the Lord gave me a, an interesting thought. I've been speaking it all, all week long, and that thought is this. If you let go of your past, your past will let go of you. If you let go of your I need to call Zig Ziglar. He's still alive. If you let go of your past, your past will let go of you. And so you start determining what words you're going to speak out of your mouth, what you're going to declare, what you're going to say. Are you repeating something that somebody said about you or against you? Are you repeating that, those things that you heard when you were depressed? Or are you saying to yourself what God is saying about you? God says in Ephesians 20, I believe in you. He said, Gideon, thy mighty man of valor. Gideon was broke, busted, and disgusted, frustrated, hiding, barely surviving, living in the, in the lowest realm of life. But God didn't see where Gideon was. God see, saw where Gideon could go. And when Gideon turned loose of his past and stopped complaining about what he didn't have, and he allowed God to anoint him, he went on to conquer a mighty army, 
a great victory for, for the kingdom. The Bible says it took three days to gather the spoils of all those that died in that battle. And God blessed them. They went to battle. They did what God called them to do. And God blessed them. God answered. God said, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. He listens. He responds. It's okay to call. It's okay to ask. It's okay to have a list. But it's fun, fun from time to time to go through your list and start crossing things off because God answered that prayer. Aren't you glad you have a God this morning that, 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 that believes in you? I wrote down also my handwriting, Pastor Rhonda. I can't, I can't read my own writing. I might let you. Oh, oh, God is for you. God is for you. My, what, what did I write down? Three, God is for you. And I think I wrote down, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Is that not that God will supply my need? Because he is a supply meeting God. He wants us to ask. He taught us to ask. He declares for us to ask. But we're asking for either the wrong things or not asking for anything. You say, well, I don't, I don't want to, every time I go to God, uh, I don't want to ask for stuff. And I, I was on Facebook this morning, and I saw, and you guys will probably know the guy. I've never, I've never heard him before. He had a great voice and a cool hat. And he had a phone, and he was talking to God. And he's saying, God, I didn't, I didn't call you to bug you today. But, God, I called you to talk to my mama. And I thought, how, how, what a cool thought that is to have a phone and act like you're talking. To, who sings that song? Anybody know? How, no country western? How, how cool it is that, that we literally, mentally, we have a phone that there's no certain hour for us to call. We can call him when we want to. We can tell him what we need. And like the dad that loves supply for his children, he is there to meet all of our needs and glory according to his riches and glory. We serve a God that says, I will not fail you. I will not let you down. I will not disappoint you. David said, I'm old, but I've been young. And in that window of old to young, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed out begging for bread. And I can tell you, I have been to three of the poorest countries of the world. I spent three days in N'Djamena, Chad. I spent two days in Nigeria. I spent two days in the Cameroons. I've spent countless days in Haiti. I've been to Haiti a dozen times, and I've gone to the poorest country in the world. I've gone and preached at their churches, but I realize those that are serving God are better off than those that aren't. That God responds, even in a poor nation, even when there's nothing, God provides and God sustains. The, uh, the next thing I want to tell you, not only will God not fail you, but God provides for you. And then eighthly, ninthly, he said, I will be with you. I will be with you. I am a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I had that friend that went to be with the Lord this year. My, my cousin Kent, we did everything together, all the way from, from preaching together, doing drugs together. There was, a, there was a few years there, 40 years that we, or 50 years that we were together, we were friendship, and I lost that. I lost that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But aren't you glad God said, I'll be that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I'll never leave you, I'll never seek you. And then the best thing the word says about you today, God says, I love you. I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Shall we pray? We thank you this morning for allowing us to come into your presence. 
We hope today that our words and declaration of praise brought you honor and brought you glory. We hope today that we brag on you and we boast in the Lord and we declare your greatness and your goodness and your favor. We pray today that we would be stronger than we were yesterday. We pray today that we would be a little bit more mature than we was yesterday. We pray today that we would stop being the problem and start being the solution. We lay on the altar the past that could hurt and harm us. We hold on to the past of testimony and blessings, but we let go of the past that could hurt and harm us. We decide to stop saying things about ourselves and start finding what your word has to say about us and declare those things. We choose to eat that meat. That meat turns into protein. That protein expands our body. It strengthens us. It blesses us. It prepares us for the ministry ahead, for the season ahead, for the, the time ahead. We thank you for your word this morning. You said it will not return void. We thank you that you sent your word and your word healed them. We thank you that we love your word. We devour your word. We eat your word and we pursue your word. And we ask you to bless us with good success, with prosperity to meet the needs of our family and help meet the needs of another family. The definition of prosperity would have enough to meet our needs and to help meet some of the needs of the others. We ask these things in that name above every name, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We ask these things in your son, Jesus, and we come into your throne with his name, with his provision, his protection. And they all said, amen. You love the Lord this morning, and you're proud that you're part of the family of God. Uh, Walmart was so kind, and they are going to do this every week. Walmart was so kind to donate, to contribute uh, a whole lot of food. And uh, it's uh, for this house, and uh, the food that you don't take today will probably spoil and be thrown away. And so in the lobby before you leave, uh, take as much of anything as you want. God has blessed us with cucumbers. If you'll take a cucumber and slice it and cut it up and get, a, and get an onion and cut it up, take lemon juice and let your cucumbers soak in lemon juice and that, that purple onion, that's a, that's a good little snack that you can eat at night and get away with. Uh, if if uh, there are bananas, we've got bananas coming out of our ears. Uh, bananas have potassium. It's very good for you to have potassium in your body. So take a bunch of bananas. Uh, the bread is pretty much worthless. Just put some butter on it and uh, heat it up, and uh, that, that'll, give you some, that'll give you some carbs. Uh, I saw some squash. I saw some beets. Um, I saw the apples, but I'm going to use those to feed the deer because they're hungry. Uh, it is that season again. And, uh, but I, do, uh, I, just, I just want you to know that I'm here protecting you. Also very important, in the, ne the next 12 months, there's only... Uh, three, three dates more important than the date I'm about to give you. The date of the birth, the date of the crucifixion, and the date of the resurrection. And the fourth date is October 28th. October 28th. Write it down. Put it on your, put it on your, because Sunday morning, October 28th, I'm going to sing to you one of the Beatles songs entitled, Will You Still Meet Me? Will You Still Greet Me? When I'm 64. Will You Still Meet Me? Will You Still Greet Me? When I'm 64 and now uh, we thank we thank god for another birthday is headed this way i don't feel 64 until i get up where i've been laying down for a while and the knees and the bones all they creak and make weird noises but i'm still walking down the steps one at a time where pastor Rhonda is a half a step every time because of a bad knee so i can actually beat her down the stairs we're 
We're glad that you're here. Dean, it's always an honor, always a privilege to have you and your family. We love you, and we love what God is doing in, in your life. And we, we were reflecting on the way home yesterday just how God had blessed you guys. You guys have been such a blessing to Church of the Harvest for years and years and years. And the fruit of your investment, the fruit of your tithe dollar, the fruit of your offering dollar is sitting right in front of you, a man of God. God has raised up a man of God, and we credit that to you and the Holy Spirit.